welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Luke chapter 9, verse 37 through verse 62. Please get out your Bible and follow along. What does Romans chapter 12, verse 2 mean when it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? How does Messiah lead our way to the fullness of that transformation? What can the disciples' mistakes and wrong attitudes in Luke chapter 9 and the way that Messiah dealt with them Teach us about how that process works. And what do we need to do in order to see that same transformation in our own lives? How much of a priority should following Messiah be in our lives? And how can this transformation work in us as part of the remnant? Stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Luke chapter 9, verse 37 through verse 62. He leads our way. You know what? You're not all on your own. Life is full of decisions, and it's kind of scary sometimes, but he's there for you. And he's leading the way for each one of us and showing us what the Father's will truly is and how we can walk it. And he doesn't just tell us what to do but he went out before us and actually lived it so that we could see what it means to actually walk out Yahweh's will. Well, I want to take a little look at how Yeshua leads the way and teaches us what is right and the reason why he does that. And I'm going to go to the book of Romans to actually explain this. Now, here's somebody who knew Yeshua really well, an apostle of Yeshua. And this is what he said. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of Elohim. 
So what this is about is not being conformed to the world. The problem is we all start in life conformed to the world, don't we? Isn't that pretty much what happens? That's what some people call being socialized. Being socialized is actually conforming you to the world to make you think the way the world does, be able to behave the way the world wants you to, to be able to have the worldview that those around you have. And here we're told, don't be conformed to the world. So very different message, right, than we get from the time that we basically get dumped into our crib. So all of our life, we're steeped in all of this thinking that's essentially all wrong. And the scriptures tell us that we've got to undo all that, essentially. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? Because it's only once our head gets put on straight that we finally can perceive the will of God for our life. Until that happens, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in our head that is basically a barrier to understanding the full will of God for us. And, of course, what Paul wanted as an apostle and what Yeshua wants is for us to perceive the will of God and to walk in it. And that's why he led the way to show us how to do that. And it's very important to realize that the world cannot perceive the perfect will of Yahweh. And even if they could, they wouldn't want to do it. So if we want to be a part of his kingdom, we're going to have to go through this process of being transformed. The word that is translated transformed here is the Greek word metamorphos. The word probably sounds kind of familiar, right? Our word metamorphosis comes from that word. And we have a very good example of this in what happens with the butterfly. You got a nasty little thing on a tree limb, turns into a bug, doesn't look like much. But it goes through this process, this metamorphosis, this transformation. And one day, <laughs> it opens its wings as this incredible butterfly. This is really what we're talking about here. This is what Yeshua wants to do with each of us. He wants you to be transformed, to be that butterfly you're meant to be. So, you know, a lot of us stress about the fact that we look more like the bug than the butterfly when we take a good look at ourselves. But you have to be patient because that's all part of the process to becoming the butterfly. You have to hang in there through the metamorphosis that you're going through. 
You can't abandon it because if you do, you're just going to be left a mess. And you're not going to get to where you need to be. So it takes a lot of change. And nobody likes change. But change is absolutely imperative to be an overcomer. So we're all going through a lot of change all the time. And Yeshua Messiah, if we give our life to him, is directing that change. He is involved in all of it that is happening in our lives. We don't always like it. A lot of the time we don't like it, but we need it to get where he would bring us. So, we look now at being transformed and how we do it. Now, this is assuming we're already a saved person. These verses are written to people who already have put their faith in Yeshua Messiah. You see, just because you're saved doesn't mean you got your head on straight. You're just starting. Being saved is just starting. From that point, this is what you're going through is transformation. And that's why the renewing of your mind is so important. That's why we do this every week, isn't it? As we look at the scriptures, as we listen to Yeshua, we put that to work in our lives every week. It's so that we can be transformed into his image. It's not just religious devotion that we're doing like many people do in various religions. That's not what it's about. It's about really changing ourselves and letting other people do the same for themselves. It's not about us changing them. It's about us changing us with his help. Renewal. This is from the Greek word that means a complete change for the better. This is no little wimpy change. This is like total renovation. So when you think about the amount of change that these verses are talking about, <laughs> what it means is when you start out, you're wrong. You're just wrong about almost everything. Everything the world has ever told you, assume that it's wrong. So, if you start from a place where you're assuming that everything the world has taught you is wrong, how are you ever going to transform your mind? Well, you're going to need loads of humility. Because guess who's going to tell you you're wrong? Messiah. You know, what I've seen is that a lot of times when people first start out with Messiah, it's kind of soft and cushy for a while. But then it gets into the stage where there's challenges. And there keeps being challenges. And we wonder, well, why are there all these challenges? And the reason there's all these challenges is because you're wrong. You're wrong about a whole bunch of things. And so Messiah is carefully going through all this with you to help you to see what's right here and here and here and here and here. 
for the rest of your life. Now, it does get a little better after a while because, <laughs> you know, there's some big things. And if you kind of get those settled, it gets a little bit easier until the next big thing happens. So I'm going through all this to kind of explain to you why we have sections of Scripture where the disciples are wrong and they're wrong and they're wrong and they're wrong and they're wrong. The reason that's all in there is because they're us. And we need to know these same lessons. These are things that are common to all of us sometimes. So throughout the Gospels, we find the great teacher working hard to renew the minds of his disciples. That's what we're looking at in Luke chapter 9. Is Messiah doing this work with his disciples? And as we've already seen, the process was very rigorous and to the credit of those disciples, even though they kept hearing how wrong they were, they stuck with it. And they were transformed. So what we're looking at in Luke 9 is not the butterfly stage. It's the nasty bug stage in their metamorphosis. But you can't have a butterfly without the nasty bug stage. And you know, a lot of us are in some level of the nasty bug stage. And I don't think any of us would like to think of ourselves that way. But I don't know about you, but for me, going through the Gospels, sometimes I see some things that kind of make me cringe a little bit. Do you have any of that? Well, that's a good thing. That's supposed to happen. That means we're being transformed. Stick with it. Stick with it and become that butterfly you're meant to be. Okay, so we're going to go through these verses again, some of them, and not in detail, however. We have the first section here where we have the man bringing his child, and the child is possessed by a wicked spirit. It convulses, its mouth foams. It's bruised. It has no control of itself. Now, a lot of people say this is epilepsy. They don't know what they're talking about. Just because it has some symptoms that are similar to epilepsy, epilepsy is a disease. It does not require a demon to have epilepsy. This clearly tells us this condition is due to the presence of an evil spirit. That's not epilepsy. That's an evil spirit tormenting somebody. Now, we notice this man, after he tells about his son, tells Yeshua, I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't. Now, one thing I got out of that is, 
Why didn't the disciples, when they couldn't cast it out, at least tell Messiah about it? I mean, the man begged them, right? And I'm thinking right there, well, that's like a lot of us. You know, that's like a lot of us. If we fail at something, we don't want to tell people we failed. And that's probably what happened here. They probably didn't tell him that they failed. And I would say this about that. In the kingdom, please, if you fail, tell somebody you failed. It's okay to fail. Yeshua never told these disciples they couldn't fail. He gave them authority. He told them what to do. He sent them out on their own. Did they ever do that before? Did they ever go out and cast out demons before? They saw him do it, but they didn't do it. Did they ever cure diseases before? He sent them out, and you know what they were doing when they first went out? Experimenting. Does that make you uncomfortable? You have to experiment, friends. You have to have the freedom to try, right? That's how you learn. And that's how you build up your faith. Because, you know, it's a really neat thing. If you've never done it before and somebody is plagued by a demon and you kind of stumble through casting out that demon in Yeshua's name and it actually leaves that you think, whoa, this is really going to work. And that builds up your faith. You got to try things. So these disciples, no doubt, had a great deal of success. I believe we read verses that tell us they did. But in the process of doing that, they also had some cases where they fell in their face. Did anybody ever tell you that's part of life as a believer? You need to know that. And you need to know it about yourself, and you need to know that about your brothers and sisters. That just like you, they have the freedom to try and to fail and to get up again and try again. That's how we do it. And Yeshua gave them the freedom to do that. But it looks to me like they didn't want to admit that they had failed, which is itself a human failing, isn't it? So one thing that I get out of this is this, that we cannot be transformed by playing it safe. If you just stay where you are and you don't try doing something beyond where you are, you don't try stretching out beyond your comfort zone, how are you going to change? How are you going to be transformed? How are you going to move to another level? So, you know what? You got to thicken up your skin. And you have to understand that you will try, you will have successes, you will try, you will have some failures. Some people might even make a comment or something that makes you feel bad. You'll live through it. 
You know, some of the stuff that <laughs> these disciples heard from Yeshua, I'm telling you, I can only imagine how they felt, right? Because their whole soul was just laid bare day after day. We can't be so self-protective if we're going to be transformed. We have to be willing to risk failure in the quest for success in the kingdom. Well, when Yeshua answered this, he had a really, I think, a pretty harsh answer, to tell you the truth. Faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Now, we've talked about this before in the book of Matthew, and we've seen that the commentaries tend to believe that he's talking to his disciples here. And I thought that might be true, and certainly on the faith issue it is, but really I think calling them perverse is not something he would do, because that's not, they weren't perverse. His disciples were not perverse. So I think this has a different meaning, and I'm going to go into that a little bit. It goes on, it says, while he was still coming, that, that is the boy, the demon threw him down and convulsed him violently. But Yeshua rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Now, what is this telling us about this demon? It's a nasty demon. It's a very nasty demon. This is Yeshua, the Son of God. And this demon is trying to prevent this boy from getting to him so that this demon could be cast out. So he's trying to take control of the situation by casting this boy down and causing him to have these violent convulsions. So this demon is not going to go quietly into the night, right? Very persistent demon. And this goes along with what we already know about this demon because the disciples tried to cast him out and they couldn't, which was not normal. Normally, if they commanded these demons to leave in Yeshua's name, they left. So this is a different situation. Yeshua, however, being Yeshua, was able to rebuke this spirit and cast it out. Now, you know, a lot of times when we hear the word rebuke, rebuking demons. People take that to mean, okay, now I have to say to the demon, I rebuke you. Well, the truth is that's not really rebuking a demon. Rebuking a demon means you know what that demon has done wrong. And you tell it what has done wrong and why it must leave. That's rebuking a demon. And if you're right about that, that demon has to leave. Because you've just won a court case. And that demon is through. 
That's rebuking a demon. That's what Yeshua did. He knew what the case was with that demon. He rebuked that demon. He zeroed right in on what this was all about. And that demon had to leave. Let's talk some more about this. Let's talk about the disciples. Why didn't they have the same success with this demon that Yeshua had? Well, I can tell you, if you're used to casting out demons and they leave, when you come upon one that doesn't leave, and in fact is very smug about it, it's really, it can be a blow to your faith. It really can. Not that you're going to completely not believe in Yeshua anymore, but you're thinking, well, what's going on here? And it makes you kind of feel like you're over your head. So that's probably what happened with these disciples. They really were feeling kind of intimidated. So Yeshua correctly told them that their problem with this demon was unbelief, which was lack of sufficient faith to overcome the problem. It didn't mean they're completely faithless people. He's just saying you didn't have the faith you need to meet this challenge. And of course, then he told them, if you have faith to move the mountain, you can move the mountain. So he's saying you could have had success if you had persisted in faith. And we wonder how. Well, he added one more thing. He said, this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. Well, you might think, well, how were they supposed to know that? Well, if you try to do something that you know is the will of the Father, and you try to do it in faith, and you don't succeed, what is the next step, no matter what it is? Isn't that where you go to your father and say, hey, wait a minute, we got a short circuit here. What is this about? And if it's something that's really important, don't you fast as well? So the thing is, their faith was short of telling them to do that. And here, Yeshua says, well, this is what you needed to do. This kind of spirit doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, that might make you wonder, what kind of evil spirit is this that's different than other evil spirits that just leave when you command them to leave in Yeshua's name? What kind of an evil spirit is this? Well, that's what had really kind of thrown off the disciples, I believe. Well, this kind of a spirit that only comes out through prayer and fasting would be a spirit that has been invited by the host or someone with authority over the host, such as the parents, to enter in via a demonic ritual. So that then 
the demon actually has a right to be there or feels that it does. This is extremely dangerous, friends, for people to do this. Why do they do it? Well, witchcraft is growing today. There's a tremendous amount of books on witchcraft with spells and so forth out there. It's, I'm not going to tell you where they are, but they're easy to find. And there's lots of people that are doing this. And if there's something you want, they'll tell you or they'll involve you in a ritual to get what you want. But it's going to come to you through allowing a demon to come into your life and maybe even into yourself. And this is really at the heart of pagan religion. And there's so many pagan religions that all do this. In many cases, they think they have a god coming in and occupying them. And the end result is like this boy. They become totally controlled by that demonic spirit. And there's so many varieties of this out there that you're not going to know the particulars to rebuke the spirit. You're not going to know unless you receive supernatural knowledge. And how are you going to receive that? How are you going to get the supernatural knowledge to deal with that spirit? Through prayer and fasting. It's a real thing. It's not just some kind of a formula. You know, like the exorcist or something? Saying the prayers and doing all the stuff? That's not what it is. It's a real connection with Yeshua Messiah dealing with someone to help them, to set them free. And it is war. It's war. Well, what kind of an evil spirit is this, and where did this spirit come from? You might remember that at one point we talked about this grotto of Pan located in the area of first century Judea. And it was a center of pagan worship with the Greek and Roman gods. This is just one place in Judea because that whole area was under Roman occupation. Before that, it had been under Greek occupation. And so, you know, normally we think of the temple in Jerusalem, but really there were lots of temples in first century Judea where these false gods were worshipped by the Greek-speaking and Roman people who lived there for whatever reason there in that land. And 
those places practice these things I'm talking about. If you look into the Roman gods, like Bacchus, for example, Dionysius and others, it involves mystery religions where people went through all sorts of pagan frenzied rites where they became possessed by demonic spirits willingly so that they could receive certain benefits they were looking for from the gods. And sometimes, which was common in paganism going back long before this time, they would give their children in order to get what they wanted. So, I think we can easily forget this, that this kind of pagan worship was being practiced there in that area. And my own feeling about it is I think this is why we have so much demon possession mentioned in the Gospels. Because it wasn't just the Gentiles that were doing it. I believe some of the Jews were doing it. And they were doing it to get what they wanted. It's the same reason that you have ancient Israel going to the Baals, right? To try and get favor in order to get the things they wanted. Magic. You know, people want magic answers. It's not about loving God for a lot of people. It's about getting what they perceive their needs met. Only it's a bargain with the devil. Nobody ever comes out on top in that bargain. They think they will. They think they have control. But in the end, they're the ones that are being controlled. So what this story is really telling us is that in the first century, apparently there were a lot of people who were claiming that they are worshipers of the one true God who even worshiped at the temple, who were also going to these pagan temples to get the things they wanted. And this was resulting in them and family members being possessed by evil spirits. And I believe this is the reason for Yeshua's rebuke, calling them a perverse generation. Because that is perverse for the nation in covenant with Yahweh to be seeking after false gods. That's perverse. And it is amazing to me the grace I see in this, that despite the fact that this was happening, Yeshua Messiah was going to these people and he was setting them free from these demonic spirits. Incredible. Incredible grace. Well, we'll move on from that. Next, we have Yeshua saying, to his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears. And he's telling them about what would happen to himself. They didn't understand it. They perceived it not. 
they feared to ask him of that saying. Well, we've seen before one reason was because there were different expectations as to what would happen with the Messiah. They couldn't balance that out in their head. But another reason, I believe, is because like a lot of us, they were afraid of death. Their own and Messiah's as well, their leader. You know, there's a lot of people that can't even talk about death. Just the very idea of talking about death gives them the creeps. They can't think about it. They can't hear anything about it. And especially if you were to say that somebody they love could die, that's just beyond the pale. We don't have to be so afraid of death. Not if we belong to Yeshua Messiah, because death is pretty much an illusion for those that belong to him. It's a nap. And pretty soon you're back forever. So that's a pretty good deal. We don't need to be afraid of death. But they were, and it would have helped them if they could have listened, because they would have been more ready for what was coming, but they weren't able to do that. And I think in this, this is where they needed transformation, and they did receive it eventually. And I think this is an area for a lot of us where we need transformation. We need to learn how to come to grips with the reality of death. You know, I'm not going to give you all that crap about death somehow being our friend. Death is no friend to anybody. Death is an enemy. The scriptures tell us death is an enemy. But because of Yeshua Messiah, we can deal with death. Because it's not the end. So, it's not a pleasant subject, but we can deal with it in reality. And we need to come to a place in our faith where, well, like in the words of the song, we're not afraid to die. And that one day is going to be very important to us that we do come to that place in our faith. All you need to do is read the book of Revelation and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Well, then it moves on and now the three stooges are arguing about who's the greatest. Don't they come across kind of like the three stooges in this section of scripture? You know, it's just you know, like one thing after another. And I just wonder, don't we kind of act like that sometimes. We just sometimes just don't get it. We just don't understand what's really going on. But remember, these were the best candidates he could find. I think that uh, tells you a lot, doesn't it? And the truth is, these guys are really great because they didn't give up. That's what it's all about. You know what? You might be like these guys. You might, <laughs> you might have one bad attitude after another. You might fall down one time after another. As long as you keep getting up and you keep following him, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this process of transformation, through this metamorphosis, and eventually you are going to be the butterfly. 
It will happen. So this is something great we can learn from these guys. But this idea of arguing about who's the greatest, well, how often does this happen? And let's face it, even if people don't argue about it, sometimes we do feel envious of someone else we perceive as being promoted ahead of us and we deserve it, not them and all these kinds of things, and we have these same feelings, even if we don't get into the argument. And there's a different way of seeing this. And it's hard for us sometimes to see it his way. That old nature is hard to deal with, you know, that thinking of the world that's hard to deal with. And it's a struggle. They had a struggle with it. And basically, in the kingdom, whoever is least among you all, this one will be great. That's who's great with him. So, you know, it's kind of interesting about this, because what we learn from the world, what you learn from Facebook, okay, is that the majority rules. The majority is right. So, you know, basically what that means is you have to get the most possible people to like you and agree with you. That's how the world thinks. And a lot of us have been acclimated to that. So we care a lot about what other people think. How much did Yeshua Messiah care about what people thought about him? Well, just reading some of the things he said, other things we're going to look at too, it becomes very clear he didn't really care what people thought of him. He didn't have that worldly mindset that we all have to fight sometimes. He had the mindset, I'm going to please my father. There was one that he wanted to please. That was his father in heaven. And beyond that, Whatever anybody thought, let them think it. That's the big change that he wanted to bring to them. Isn't that a huge metamorphosis all alone? Isn't that a gigantic change for a person? To go from that place where their life is about pleasing other people to the place where their life is totally about pleasing their Father in Heaven. Gigantic change. That's a butterfly right there. They needed to be transformed in this way, and certainly we need that transformation too, especially with the world changing the way it is, because we see it all the time that the world is moving further and further away from our Father in Heaven, adopting attitudes that are really horrendously horrible in His way of thinking. So we're going to have to do this or else we're going to end up finding ourselves on the broad road. We're going to have to come to grips with this where what our Father thinks is really what matters to us vital, vital transformation in these days.
Well, then we have John saying, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. And Yeshua said, don't forbid him for he who is not against us is for us. This person was casting out demons in the name of Yeshua. Did this person believe in Yeshua? The demons were leaving. That's a clue, isn't it? Who are these guys? Or this person? I'm thinking probably a disciple of John the Immerser. But maybe not. Maybe somebody else who has taken in the message of Yeshua, but has not come yet and become part of the group. So John is thinking, hey, you got to be part of our group. And Yeshua said, don't forbid him, for he who is not against us is for us. People don't have to be part of our group to belong to Yeshua Messiah. It's that simple. We are not the only people in the world that worship Yahweh and follow Yeshua. We're not. So we shouldn't think like that. Now we have a particular mission. And so that's why we're together in this ministry, because we have a mission. And so Messiah has drawn us together to accomplish that mission. I'm thinking here in the case of this guy, for whatever reason, he didn't fit into Messiah's mission that Messiah was doing with these other disciples. There's other people out there just like that right now that don't fit into our mission, but nevertheless, they have faith in Messiah and they're serving him. So I think this is a statement against sectarianism. You know, it's like, I don't know, your favorite football team or something. That's the only team or whatever. We're not the only team. But, of course, we're doing what we're doing because we think that what we're doing is important and that it's what Yahweh wants us to do. But you know what? Some people may leave us to go do something else. And I just want to say about those people, they can leave on good terms and go and do something else. Because we're not going to have that kind of sectarian attitude. And then you know what? They're free to come back again later if that's what Yahweh's will is. It's a big world. Yahweh's kingdom is a big place. And he can do things with other people that we don't even know about. And he is. So that's basically what he's telling them. Well, then we have these Samaritans. They didn't receive Yeshua. So Jacob and John say, oh, well, they didn't receive Yeshua. How about, Lord, if we just command fire to come down from heaven like Elijah did and burn them all up? This is pretty incomprehensible to me, actually. Because it's just hard for me to imagine them walking with Yeshua Messiah and even coming up with this idea. You know, they just totally had their own thing in their head <laughs> here. And what were they thinking? You know, 
maybe they were thinking that if they did this, then that would scare everybody into believing or something. I don't really know exactly what they were thinking, but this is so far off from what Yeshua was doing that he said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. In other words, you're following right now what Satan wants to do, not what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's a pretty strong thing to say. Getting back at people because they don't agree with you, that's not Yeshua Messiah. That's not his spirit. And what he said is, the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And that's still true. That's what he wants to do, is save people. That's what we want to do, too. And we don't want to hurt anybody. Nobody. Look at what he did. <laughs> After he said this, they went to another village. Yeshua just got them right out of there. We're going to have none of this fire out of heaven stuff. The love of Messiah, he loves people. And just because people are rejecting him, it doesn't mean there's not still time for them to change. Unless you cast fire out of heaven and kill them, then there's not going to be any more time. But otherwise, they're going to have a chance. Give them a chance. And that's still true now, right? We want everyone to be saved, but we know that's a choice only they can make. We can't make that choice for anybody, but we certainly can do everything possible to allow them to make that same choice that we have made. Well, then we have these verses. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. Well, I like this verse because it sounds completely outrageous. What? Yeshua didn't want him to go and bury his father? Listen, Yeshua had three and a half years to change everything. Was he going to stop and wait for this guy? to go and bury his father before he continued on his ministry? Not time for that. And if he says, allow me first, what is he really saying? This other thing is more important to me than what you want me to do. If you're committed, be committed. None of this allow me first thing. That's not Messiah's way. If he's calling you, what he means when he's calling you is right now. You don't have to wonder when. He means right now. That's really what all this is about. And I've seen things happen to people because they didn't get the right now part. Those opportunities go away, friends. They go away fast. When you're presented with the opportunity, you need to make a choice. Are you going to give it your all? Or is it going to be, well, let me first do this. Messiah doesn't really go for that. Just sharing what I know. 
Another said, I want to follow you, Lord, but first allow me to say goodbye to those who are at my house. Again, Yeshua is moving forward. It's already said where he's going. He's headed to Jerusalem. Does he have time to wait around for this guy? Listen, Messiah has his plan right now. It's the same thing. He's moving forward with his plan. If he calls you to come with him, I'm telling you, he is not waiting around for you. Make your choice, yes or no. None of this, oh, I want to do this other thing first. Because if you do that, you will probably lose your opportunity. What about this kind of person? Yeshua said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of Elohim. It's very tempting to start out with Yeshua. Apparently this person had done that, started out with Yeshua. And then you see the realizations come in. Oh, this is not going to be all this glory and stuff that I was thinking. Instead, there's these other things. And I need to kind of, you know, smooth things out with the other part of my life. Right? And then what happens to the job of building the kingdom, of planting the seed? See, that wanes. Nobody can stand on the fence. It's got to be one or the other. And you know, the words that Yeshua said, it reminded me of Lot's wife. She did not want to leave Sodom. She had her home there. You know, the nesting instinct is very strong, right? She had daughters. She was thinking grandchildren, probably wanted that. She wanted a normal life. And she was a real influence in the family. And basically, they were kind of dragging their feet when the angels are telling them, you got to get out of here because this whole place is going to be destroyed. Finally, the angels had to take a hold of Lot and his family by the hand and physically remove them from that place. And they were commanded, don't look back, just keep going. Lot's wife had to look back. Why is she looking back? Oh, that's my home back there. I had all these dreams, all this stuff I was going to do. Oh, my grandchildren I was going to have. Think about his dreams, not your dreams. And you'll be okay. Well, the kind of changes we're talking about in our thinking are radical changes. Total changes, they're a metamorphosis, aren't they? Even with the help of Tony Robbins or somebody like that, you're not going to be able to do this yourself. You're not going to be able to make these changes. To truly be transformed, we need help, just like those disciples needed help. You know, when we encounter them later, which we will, when we move into the book of Acts, we're going to come to people who are transformed people. 
And that came through their relationship with Yeshua Messiah. And to their credit, they had the patience, they had the humility to allow themselves to go through that so that they could be in the position to carry the work forward and eventually all the way down to us. But when you're going through that, and especially if you get into a space of time like we have here in Luke 9 for these disciples, where you're hearing, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't be thinking that that means that somehow you're disqualified. Because it doesn't mean that. It means that your Father in Heaven loves you so much, He's making sure that you know what the truth is, and He's helping you to be transformed for your place in His kingdom. So, even when it gets kind of rough going through all this, hang on knowing that He loves you. He leads the way. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. The scripture verses included in today's program are Luke chapter 9, verse 37 through verse 62, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. Further teachings and study materials on being an overcomer, Messiah's standard of righteousness, the Torah, spiritual warfare, the role of the Torah in conducting spiritual warfare and winning against the enemy, the paganism mixed in to modern Christianity and how to avoid those false doctrines and customs, overcoming fear of death and other fears that hold you back from the fullness of who God meant you to be, breaking free from the world, allowing God to be the one who defines you, Instead of being stuck in your own limited viewpoints or seeing yourself in the way that the world defines you, how to treat others, whether believing or unbelieving, how to treat God, how to trust and obey God, Lot's wife and looking back, persevering, God's promises to his people in these last days, how Zion's mission ties into those promises, how you can get involved in Zion's mission, and how to step up into the calling that God has for you, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom!
The Christian church system has claimed that Israel is cast off and done away with. However, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35 through verse 37 says, Thus says Yahweh, who gives the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Yahweh of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says Yahweh, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says Yahweh, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then will I also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says Yahweh. The sun is still here. The sea still roars, and the stars still shine. Learn how Yahweh's nation Israel is literally written in the stars as a permanent testimony of our God's commitment to His covenant with Israel. Visit our community site, Zion Tabernacle, and sign up as a free member to view Eliyahu ben David's seminar entitled, One Nation Written in the Stars. Now available free of charge as part of Zion Fast Track, our introductory video course. Zion Fast Track will give you the big picture of what God is doing with His remnant nation in this very generation. To sign up and learn more about what other free resources you'll get as a Zion Tabernacle member, go to zion.org and click Join Us. That's T S I Y O N. Dot O-R-G. Then click Join Us.